Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. Pleasure to have you with us. My name is Marcus Spell. With me, of course, is Jonathan Wilson. And today with us is Rory Smith, Chief Soccer Correspondent for the New York Times, a regular on BBC Radio 5 Live, author of the book Mr. The Men Who Gave the World the Game, and a damn good egg as well. Rory, pleasure to have you on the pod. It's, it's nice to see you both. How are you doing? <laughs> Very well. Very well indeed. Um, particularly, I'm... I'm, I'm intrigued and looking forward to what you've got to say and you too of course Jonathan about your choice today we go back to the 2018 at Copa Libertadores final second leg between River Plate and Boca Juniors Rory why have you chosen this game because I think that it it might be it's definitely the greatest game that never happened (laughs) it was it was a really it was a kind of crazy I guess 72 hours in Buenos Aires, between kind of the build-up to the game, or the kind of the, the anticipation of the game the day before, and the, and the point at which we all realised, right, okay, it's definitely not going to happen. Um, and then you had another two weeks before they shifted it to Madrid and played it there instead. Uh, but it kind of it encapsulated quite a lot of Argentinian football, I think, and the, maybe the problems, the wonder of it, but also the problems inherent within it, uh, from the fact that it couldn't actually be staged. It was. It felt like a it's definitely the it's definitely the um the most I don't think like best story I've ever reported on, but like the most dynamic story, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, that I've ever kind of been a part of. That it felt like you were part of something that you just would never experience ever again. Mm. I mean, it promised to be a huge spectacle, Jonathan, and of course it was an even bigger spectacle, but not <laughs> in the way that anybody really wanted it to be. Yeah, I was sort of umming and ahhing about this as to whether I should sort of explain some of the personal background to this, and I, I think I will just as sort of to try and put into context just how bizarre this this whole period was for me so i the the previous week i'd been in budapest uh finishing off a book um and i came back on the thursday evening so this this is nine days before this game is meant to happen came back on the thursday evening got back to heathrow and rang my mum, and my mum hadn't been particularly well and she didn't answer the phone and so panicked obviously got a mate to go around and he said yeah she's in She's okay, but I, I'd come up pretty quickly. So I went up the next day on the Friday and she had to go in the hospital on the Saturday morning. Uh, and I was meant to fly out to Buenos Aires on the Monday night. And because she was in hospital, I delayed that. Uh, but there's a big part of me going, but this is going to be amazing. I don't want to knock out of this. <laughs> uh, and eventually I, I sort of said to the doctors, like, look, here's a situation. Um... In, in, in you know, she's clearly in a really, really bad way. But how bad is it? You know, is something really bad going to happen if I disappear for seventy-two hours? And they went, she's going to just lie there. Like this is, this is not. She's not going to die imminently. She's not. She's not well. But and so I, on the Thursday, I went back down to London. Uh, weirdly, looking at my diary because I was trying to work out the chronology of dates. Turns out I had a meeting at the Oval that day. God knows what that was about. <laughs> And then that evening flew out to uh, flew out to Buenos Aires. So I only got there the day before the game, and I flew back on the Monday. So I was there literally for seventy two hours. And uh, I'm sure Roy will remember this. We'd we'd arranged to meet uh, Alejandro Dominguez, the president of Conmebol, uh, in a hotel in Puerto Madero in in Buenos Aires at I think ten thirty on the Friday morning. Okay. And. Uh, you know, when I'd had to rearrange the flights and everything, I had, and, and Miguel Delaney was there as well, and I said to the, the two of you, um, you, you go ahead and do that. I'll meet you at the hotel. And then we'd also arranged to go down to Racing in Avigenida, um to look at what they were doing with, with using data and better scouting and, and all the improvements they'd made under Diego Melito, who'd been brought in as a sporting director. Um, I said, yeah, I'll meet you at the hotel and we, we can still go down to Avigenida. And for the first time in history, Azissa, the airport in Buenos Aires, was incredibly efficient. And I got to the hotel at about 10.32 and there were Rory and Miguel sitting in the bar still waiting for yeah. Alejandro Dominguez. So I was able to do that interview as well. So this was by some way the most productive 72 hours of work I've ever done as a journalist. <laughs> it, was that, it was that weird thing though that as, as, a, as a fan uh-huh. you, you, want, you desperately wanted the game to happen because so they they played the previous week in the first leg. It was the last two legged final, and when we saw Dominguez, actually, he was he was really big on on how 
the following year where it was scheduled for, for Santiago in 2019, I think, and I think it eventually got taken off Santiago from memory. Yeah, because, because unrest. there was yeah there was riots in Santiago, so there was moved to Lima, mm-hmm. and you kind of thought, well, this is going to be, that, yeah, Domingos was kind of saying this is going to be you know the the, the dawn of a new era for Libertadores and having a having a one a one one off final as you know like the Champions League will will give it. A commercial boost and a kind of a boost in terms of the spectacle, and it'll make it more modern. And, and they were also really conscious, I think, that that they were that having home and away finals and it being River Boca was maybe a bit of a, a recipe for disaster, to be honest. Um, but I mean, one of the things we said to him was, "But hang on, what if it's River and B Boca next year, and all we've got is so tens of thousands of people?" Driving yeah, across yeah, the continent yeah. Yeah. with riots every single service station's <laughs> cafes on the way, yeah. and uh, I, I, I'd forgotten this. I read through my notes again this morning from an interview, and I, <laughs> he looked up and smiled and went, "You needn't worry about security in Santiago." <laughs> Literally <laughs> a year before Santiago stripped of the final because of riots in the streets of Santiago. Yeah, the, um, but it, it, there was this massive anticipation. So the yeah the. The week before they played each other, finished two two, and I, as a as a fan, as much as a journalist, you're kind of thinking, well, maybe, maybe I could have gone out for both legs, but obviously, you know, we've all got home lives, and me trying to swing fourteen days in Buenos Aires by myself, or even worse, with Miguel and Jonathan <laughs> by my wife, would be. And, and Josh Robinson was there as well, from and Wall Josh Street Robinson from the, from the Wall Street Journal, which is one of the and, things that made it a great weekend because there was four of us there who were all mates, and yeah, we we were all sort of you know, often when you get a big story. You you're a bit unsure of other people because mm. you were are they competing with you? Are they trying to feed you false information to make you look stupid? Are yeah. they hiding stuff from you? Here it was like there's a four of us. We're all you know none of us is going to stitch each other up. We're all going to help each other, and there was a great sort of collegiate sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think it was sorry. Sorry, go on. No, go I was going to say that yeah, I was going to say that the the, the anticipation was as a, as a journalist was a, is different to the anticipation of a, of a fan. The day. The day before Jonathan arrived in Buenos Aires, me and Miguel, who'd landed 24 hours, 48 hours previously, whatever it was, went to the Bombonera to watch training, Boca's last training session before the final. And in fact, it may even have been the morning that you, or the, yeah, at some point on the day before the game. And the no, Bombonera it must have been was, the Thursday because I got there 10.30 on the Friday right, morning. So yeah. it must have been the Thursday. And the Bombonera was full, completely full. Mm. In fact, beyond full, yeah, overflowing. Fi- like, we fifteen thousand over capacity because the, the the stadium then got shut for a month by the municipality. Although they appealed against it, obviously it was overturned because that's how these things work. Thing work. <laughs> but the me and Miguel ended up kind of we kind of walked up. We got shown towards the press box because they were outside the stadium. It's all these tightly packed little streets in in La Boca, and it was just a, a flood of people outside the, outside the stadium. You couldn't you couldn't really move. And obviously, anyone who's ever been anywhere with Miguel knows that he doesn't put his phone away. And <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that, yeah. like, th- this is not not that I want to typecast, but gen- generally, anywhere in the world, if I'm outside a football stadium and it's really busy, I'll I'll kind of have my phone in my pocket and keep my hand on it, just because you never know. Mm. And Miguel was kind of, I mean, he was not even just taking pictures; he was like texting people, WhatsApping constantly. And I'm a bit like Miguel. A, I need you to know where you're going. B, I don't want to have to lose. I don't want to lose you because you know you'd be alone here and you wouldn't survive. <laughs> Without a grown up, and see <laughs> your phone is going to get nicked. Stop, stop texting for ten minutes. But we eventually got kind of punted up to. We walked right around the stadium like twice, and we got punted up towards the press box. But the press box was completely full of fans, not kind of a handful. I mean, God knows the only journalist there, but it, there would have been hundreds and hundreds of fans just in this tiny press box. And then we kind of made it back round to the other side and went into the executive boxes on that side of the Bombardera that doesn't really look like a stadium. It looks like a kind of sheer wall of boxes mm. where there was a much better view. And it was, and that's where the TV cameras were. And that was a little bit more, more peaceful. But the whole place was, was rammed just for the training session. And as a, as a journalist, you're thinking, look, this is, a, this is a big story. And I think we'd all had to sell it to our desks a little bit just to say, look, this is... Not the, the usual sort of thing that you would do, send someone to the Libertadores final, but it's River Boca, it's important to this, this and this. And it was valid as a story. But that that day, the part of you that really that really couldn't wait for the game was the fan in you, the person who loves who loves football, who loves spectacle, and who loves the sense of like the priv- the great privilege of this job is to be able to just occasionally be in the place that you you know, as a kid you'd have dreamed of being, mainly as a player, but if not and someone finding a colour piece. And the 
yeah, the site thinking there's there's seventy five thousand people in the Bombardera or sixty five thousand people in the Bombardera just for a training session. Imagine what it's going to be like at the Monumental to, in two days' time. Really, kind of made you think. Look, actually, as a journalist, this story stands up. This is a valid story. This is the most important game in the world this year, club game in the world this year. As a fan, to be in the Bombonera forty hours beforehand and see just the scale of what this meant, made you think. Well, actually, this is this is something. This is kind of an, an experience that you will always kind of cherish, almost. So, as someone who didn't really have a horse in the race between River and Boca, you're just thinking, this is this is going to be amazing. It almost sort of transcended the sport in in, in some regards for a few a few moments there. I mean you called it in the New York Times of course the final to end all finals. It's being called the most important final in Argentina's football history. And they've had a few. You know, you think about the history of, of you know, well look no further than Angels with Dirty Faces, Jonathan's book. It's all there for you, everybody. But um but away fans had been banned from derby matches in Argentina due to violence. You Not know, just the, derby matches from 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 all top flight matches. From all top flight yeah, matches, they, they, my goodness. Uh, in I think two thousand and thirteen that, that regulation came in and they'd started to relax it early in the year for smaller teams. Mm. But I mean yeah the 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 extraordinary thing about this week was I think I think it was on the Wednesday there'd been a game in Primera B, so the second division between uh, All Boys and Atlanta. And there'd been huge riots with All mm-hmm. Boys fans fighting with police in, in the streets of Floresta, uh, overturning cars. I mean, the astonishing thing is, this wasn't even the worst football-related violence in Argentina that week. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This huge scandal and this huge sort of embarrassment for Argentinian football. But it, in, in the context of Argentinian football, it, it's just what happens. Yeah, well, I think with when this final with the, with the extra media attention and so on, everyone thought, okay, in Argentina we can do this well. You know, I mean, so the, the 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 reason why it was so huge is it was the first all Argentinian final, and one of the reasons for that uh, is that previously, if you'd had two teams from the same country got to the semi-finals, the rule was they had to play each other, mm-hmm. and Dominguez had got rid of that. Uh, I guess because he thought. A Boca River final, or you know, one of the big derbies, w- would be another selling point to the rest of the world. And, and Dominguez was very sort of big on we want to make this a showpiece and we want to sell it to the rest of the world. And those are the lessons we need to learn from the Champions League. And I sort of, I, I know there's a lot of issues with Dominguez, but I actually I quite warmed to his vision on that Friday. I sort of I thought he was talking a lot of sense in terms of he was saying the the great thing that South American football has. And perhaps Argentinian football in particular is the fan culture. It's incredibly seductive to Europeans who've seen their fan culture become quite anodyne, become uh, anaesthetized. But the problem is, it goes hand in hand with violence. And he he was saying his job was to somehow project the colour of that and the passion of that without the violence. Uh, and it turns out that's not easy to do. But his idea of trying to get if it was his idea as you, as you sort of suggested it may well have been to get a big derby match for a final well this was it and it had provided the Copa Libertadores with the media attention that perhaps he'd craved or, or wanted or never thought it would get you know this game uh, as we say Rory you know you say dubbed it final to end all finals that a spotlight was on Argentina. The eyes of the world were were on Argentina in a way that perhaps we've never seen, or maybe not seen since maybe the seventy eight World Cup. Obviously, that's different though. That's that's the World Cup. That's not, not club football. So so they had it. The first leg, well, that was delayed due to heavy rain. So there was already a bit of drama there. Um, but it finished two all, a very entertaining game. Boca could have won it with a late chance, but it wasn't to be. So it was all beautifully poised. You know, you had that great first leg and you thought, my goodness, this is delivering. And going into that second leg with the game nicely poised. I mean, the the anticipation for that tie, Rory, was, was extreme, to say the least. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And I think that what I felt in Argentina was was there was this sort of twin sentiment of, of desperately wanting this game to happen, of, of being seduced, to borrow the, the word Jonathan used, by... Mm. The scale of it and the scope of it and the meaning of it, but I also you, you kind of you could kind of tell that a lot of people just wanted it to be over. And I actually spoke to quite a lot of people who said they, they just wished it wasn't happening. Both kind of neutrals who were were worried about what might happen. Rightly as it turned out, and I think in their number was probably Mauricio Macri, the the Argentinian president and former president of Boca, who who sort of tried to cast it as a chance for Argentina to show to the world, I guess that it that it had moved on from those days where. 
it couldn't stage major major events or where there was a risk of violence or that his football was clean, whatever he, Macri decided he wanted it to show. Um, but I think a lot of ordinary fans, maybe not of Boca and River themselves, but certainly kind of of the other team. I did a little tour while we were there because obviously it costs a lot of money to get to Argentina and keep you there for three or four days. Um, and I thought well, I'd better get some extra stories out of it, which is where the racing thing came in. But I also went to see San Lorenzo and at least one of the other teams, uh, who I've now forgotten. But we t- I kind of went, tried to go and meet as many people as possible just to kind of make it worthwhile for the, for the New York Times. And th- the sense I got from them was, this is not good for Argentina. This, is, this game is going to mean too much to people. It's, you know, it's potentially kind of the end of one of the clubs. That, that was the, it, in hindsight, it's ridiculous because, as we know, we, you know, we know, we know which team won and which team lost. And they're both still there and neither of them have been cancelled. They've not had to go away. And, and Boca have gone on, they've they yeah. won the title this season, you know, it's, they, they're, kind they're, of, they're in a better not, state than they were then. Yeah, and I mean, River have, have obviously been back to the Brazil's final, River have become kind of the best team in South America, um, and it it didn't have the consequences that, it, in hindsight, it didn't have the consequences that you worried it might, but in, at the time, it genuinely felt like kind of an, almost an end, the end of history for Argentinian football, that it was all built into this point and then it'll all be over. And I, I had a coffee with a friend of mine, Ezequiel Fernandez-Moors, who's kind of a, one of the doyens of Argentinian sports journalism. And he was very much like, this is, this is the worst game that could have happened for Argentina. We did not need this to happen. This is not... His view was, this cannot end well. So I think there was this incredible anticipation, this incredible kind of tension and excitement and, and dread that you get ahead of all big games as a fan. But I, for the country as a whole, I think that, yeah, the the emotion before the game was much more complex than that. There was there was a genuine ripple of, more than a ripple, of I wish this wasn't happening. And it, the strange thing was it very nearly didn't because the, the semi-final, uh, when River beat Gremio on away goals, uh, Gremio were 2-0 were up on aggregate at half-time in the second leg. So 1-0 in the first leg, in Buenos Aires, they were leading 1-0 back in, in uh, Puerto Alegre. And Gajardo, the coach, Masala Gajardo, the, the river coach, who'd been banned from the touchline because of what he did in the first leg, decided to sneak into the dressing room at half-time <laughs> and just collar up, baseball hat on, and, and snuck in and gave him his rousing talk, which somehow <laughs> leads to him scoring two goals in the second half. The, the equaliser, four minutes into injury time, from a, a VAR handball penalty that you know would never have been given normally, um, and so there's all, all these appeals about that. I mean, I, I remember um, I don't think you were there, Roy, but I was with Miguel and Josh, and we'd done Arsenal v Liverpool on a I guess a Sunday afternoon, maybe maybe a Saturday evening, and we'd gone to the pub we always go to in in Islington afterwards, and the appeal hearing we were just waiting for the result to come out, so we all had our phones out on the table in the pub. And literally, as soon as it came through, River have not been banned. Conmebol have not, in this weird circumstance, discovered a backbone for the first time in their history. They have decided to have this lucrative final. Mm. We were straight on our laptops, get the flights booked, get it sorted. Mm. Um, so, you know, if Conmebol had been scared of this, they had the perfect excuse. I mean, mm. really, applying the letter of the law, River shouldn't have been in that final. Gentlemen, let's have a quick break and then we'll talk about the uh, the events that unfolded before the uh, second leg had a chance to take place. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. So, the second leg was meant to be played at Rivers Monumental Stadium on the 24th of November that year. And it's interesting uh, to hear what you were saying, Rory, about the the certain uh, opinions of those in Argentina saying they didn't want the game, they just wanted it to be over. Of course, back home in Blighty, and and the football fan in you is thinking, oh, this is going to be absolutely fantastic. And I remember from both of your Twitter feeds, actually, the the um, the little videos that you'd that you'd posted of the stadium before the game. You know, the atmosphere looked incredible. I mean, again, it was sort of akin to the sort of 1978 World Cup finals, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But, of course, no football was played that day or for, for a number of days after, after the Boca team bus was attacked by the fans. I mean, did you, when you were there, Rory, you you, you were sort of soaking it up, you know, did, did 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 you really think it was this was going to happen? Because you you know there was a lot of warning from from various people, but every, the stadium was packed and ready to go. Yeah, no, basically no. But the, the one thing that, that actually 
that never that you couldn't re- I couldn't have reported it. It's not like I would regret not reporting it. The, the morning of the game, I think did he kick off at four? Five. Was that five? Mm. Scheduled so, for five. Scheduled for five. So me, Jonathan, and Miguel were sharing this little um hovel. <laughs> that one of the two of you had booked and was yeah. not very nice. You didn't. You didn't. What, not me. That, did you? It wasn't me. Yeah, I think Miguel I th- booked you, it. You booked it. No, it's I didn't book it. It's your choice. It. Chaps, for future reference, these are the videos we want to see, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> why, did, <laughs> why did we delegate that to Miguel? I have no idea. idea. That is the last time I ever go on holiday. Sorry, on a work trip. <laughs> no. And, um, the, anyway, so we, that morning, because we so that, that was the, the... I was scheduled to fly out. We were all scheduled, I think, to fly out the next day. Jonathan might have been sent on for an extra day. But we were all scheduled to fly out on a Sunday. And I thought, right, I better go buy some presents, because my little boy was... I guess had just turned one was about to or was about to turn no just had just turned one, and obviously when I when you go away for four or five days, you, you, I tend to get something from my wife to say thank you for you know mm-hmm. letting allowing this to happen by doing all the stuff you have to do at home. Yeah, and she's a huge River fan as well. She's a, she's a massive Gashina, <laughs> yeah. The um, the um, the my little boy my little boy actually got a Bokka kit, uh, but that's only because uh, I could only find a Bokka kit. I couldn't find a River one in his sight. <laughs> But I went. I was. I went out to to downtown Buenos Aires just for a wander, and I love Buenos Aires. Mm. It's one of my favourite cities, and I wanted to buy some presents. And it was a really nice day. I guess it would have been spring, November, yeah. spring in the southern hemisphere. Yeah, it was like yeah, a yeah. really nice, warm spring day, and there were lots and lots of people in in colours, in shirts, Boca and River, and everybody else, and San Lorenzo and Independiente, and all the other teams <laughs> in Buenos Aires. There's a million of them, and it was a really nice atmosphere. And I, I remember thinking at the time. Even as I was looking for, for sort of like authentic gifts for my wife, that, that that is not the side of Argentinian football that we allow ourselves to see. The fact that in downtown, downtown Buenos Aires, on, on the eve of the biggest game in history, is just like London before Arsenal play Chelsea in the sense, in the cup final, in the sense that for, for the vast majority of people, mm-hmm. it's a big sort of marquee day. But it's actually quite a nice day out, and everyone's fine, and it's quite friendly. It's not. We kind of have this tendency to other Argentina and South American football in general. Say it is completely. Oh, they don't live it like we do. You know, it's been as Jonathan says. This idea that the fan culture has been been made anemic or stripped of its kind of of its intensity here by the corporatization of the game. All of which is true, but also in 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 Buenos Aires, you can walk about on you know on the Avenida. I can't, I can't remember the name of the streets, but on the main. We 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 were on, yeah. I mean, a lot of time we're on Avenida de Florida, which which is yeah. it's the crappy main shopping street. It's Oxford Street equivalent. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that you can walk along there, and there'll be lots of people wearing River and Boca colours, and no one bats an eyelid. You see quite a lot of people wearing River and Boca colours walking together because they're just normal people. It's just Argentina. It's just a different country. But then the kind of we we, we would have left relatively early to get to the stadium. We'd have been a bit worried about. Like, I think yeah, we, we, we got we got to Congreso de Tucumán, which is the yeah. nearest substation, which I guess is about a 20 minute, 30 minute yeah, walk from the stadium. Now, yeah. We got there just before half one, and so we three, three and a half hours early, which is which for Wil- by Wilson standard is, is late. <laughs> and the, the um, and walked up towards the stadium, and you saw the big groups of, of river fans drinking, singing. You could, and once you got to within, I guess, a 10 15 minute walk to the stadium. You saw the flares come out, the, the fireworks, the, the big groups of people chanting, and you st- started to sense that kind of that. Okay, this is this is about to happen. This is about to happen. Then you get to the police lines, and there were about nine police police checkpoints to get through. And we you, we kind of had to, certainly one we had to push through and say prensa prensa, and I felt like a complete prick for doing. But there it. was yeah, the, the the worst one was um, we saw this like Japanese TV crew with cameras, and they were sort of pushing through their cameras. We were like getting getting the train behind yeah. that. <laughs> And there was these, there was two people in wheelchairs, just fans in wheelchairs, yeah. and a and a really heavily pregnant woman, and they were part of this train as well, and and I suddenly got barged in the back, and I remember sort of flying into a fence, uh, you know, with a riot policeman sort of right there, which it was, I mean for me it was fine, but if that had been the pregnant woman, yeah, and she was yeah. like you know three feet from me, then it would have been horrendous. Mm. So that, but I mean you know. That was a minor crowd control thing. There's still and it happens no... everywhere as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It, it's not really, it's not really any more aggressive. It wasn't any more aggressively policed, particularly than games. It was, it was a little there. bit worse organised than you'd hoped for, in that there were no yeah. signs to say where the press should go and whatever. But you know, it was, it was, there was no sense of edge or anything. It was, a, no. it was a sort of carnival sense because there were no, no, there were no away fans, and it all, but it did all feel really kind of good humoured, good natured, and that would have been. 
yeah, we must have been in the stadium by about two, half two, and then you, you walk out. It was all very quiet inside. Then you walked out into the press box, which is in, in a corner of the Monumental, it's a, just a big bowl, and you see, yeah, 60,000 people already there in the baking sunshine. I mean, and that's extraordinary. There's all there's all these people outside as well that this is going to be, you know, this was, I mean, I've, I've been to games in Argentina before, I'm not sure that capacity exists as a concept in Argentina <laughs> quite a lot of the time, but the... You, you, at that point, you did have that moment of, right, this is going to be what I, what I want it to be as a fan as well as as a journalist. Well, and also, if you go to a, a British stadium two and a half hours before kickoff, all you've got is either sort of silence and empty seats because everybody's downstairs or, or outside the ground still, or you have music blaring over the, the tannoy. Yeah. This was fans singing, chanting, chucking their paper in the air. Yeah, two and a half, three and a half, three hours before kickoff, it was already amazing. Well, I was, I was a bit worried they were going to burn themselves out personally. Like I thought, <laughs> I, I kind of thought you've gone too soon, lads. You need to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. need to kind of rein this back in, save yourselves, and then go again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. When you see those, those, the, the, the images and so on, it is quite extraordinary, really. I mean, the, as I say, the match was meant to be played on on that Saturday, the twenty fourth of November, and of course, you're inside. The atmosphere's great, and so on. And then the Boca team bus is attacked by. River fans en route, several Boca players injured by broken glass and so this spray. Is, this is about half sorts. three. Yeah. yeah. And so when e- did... even the footage of them leaving the Bombonera, there must have been 25, 30,000 people yeah. to see them off from the Bombonera. Mm. And the Bombonera is sort of um, east, southeast Buenos Aires, and, and Monumental is sort of, you go northwest to get there. I guess it's about four miles, four and a half miles. And they go along Libertador. And they go past, I mean, this is sort of just an amazing moment of symbolism. They go past the planetarium and it's on the grass outside the planetarium where football was first played in Argentina in, <laughs> I think, 1867. And there's a little plaque there. And so they literally go past that bit of grass and then they turn off Libertador down, down Monroe. And normally, apparently, Monroe is shut off on a match day. And for some reason, it wasn't. And fans crowd around the bus and bricks and bottles are thrown. And and the thing is, we were seeing this on the on the, the rumors sort of came through that this had happened. And there's a, a couple of TVs hang from the roof of the of the stand over the press box, so you can you know just so you can see replays. And so they, so they had the news channel on, so we could see this. And I don't know if you felt this, Roy, but the whole thing felt so. I don't know. It just didn't feel real. It just felt incredibly because um, it was so bright and so sunny, and everything seemed so cheery, and. Uh, around the Monumental, there's all these jacaranda trees, all that, and they're all in bloom because it was the spring. It's all this sort of lilac-y, pinky blossom, and it's even sort of the bricks seem to be going quite slowly. And then suddenly, the the you know the the window would shatter, but in a very sort of gentle way. It just sort of didn't feel. You sort of you had this weird dislocation of you knew this was really serious, but at the same time, it just didn't look threatening at all. And and well, I suppose the other two things that are relevant. One is that. You- you can't really conceive of maybe three things. One is that you can't. I don't think you could have conceived in that moment that the game wouldn't happen. It just seemed that that you could watch that footage and think with your logical brain, well, very clearly this game can't happen because Pablo Perez might have lost an eye. But then there's part of you going, no, 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 the game always happens. There's always a football match at the end of it. Like you can't schedule a football match and, and just not play it. That wouldn't that wouldn't work at all. I think there's part of you. As a, this sounds a bit poncy, but as a journalist, that that goes into a work mode and it, it happens when when you're watching you know when I mean I remember being at like the Ajax Spurs Champions League semi-final which had been after, after that game um, the, the, the following like May and I had a piece as everyone in that stadium would have would have done every journalist a piece ready about Ajax's return to the Champions League final and you know this, this brilliant kind of fulfilment of this wonderfully talented Ajax generation then, I, then Spurs go and score in the, in the last minute and that Journalists will always say on Twitter, a nightmare for the people writing running. It's a nightmare for everybody. But you kind of have to dis- disassociate yourself from the event that you're watching unfold in order to cover it. And that sounds really kind of, really poncy and very much like, oh, this is a tremendous art of journalism. And it's not meant to, but you do, after a while, you do just kind of, you learn that you, you yeah, you kind of have to pause and think and a different part of your brain kicks in. So I remember watching it thinking, watching the footage thinking, partly this game will happen, they surely won't cancel it. Um, and partly, well, this is this is a story that I now have to cover. So you could feel that kind of part of you kicking in. And I guess the other thing that's relevant is that I think earlier that year, the Man City bus had been attacked on the way yeah. to Anfield. Yeah. 
and that was a serious event, and it was a a, dread, a, a dreadful event, and it shouldn't have happened. And I, I remember I'd gone out to see the, the bus arrive at Anfield that night, and I saw the bus, the bottle sort of whistling past my ear, and you think, well, this is this is bad. This should not be happening. You shouldn't be throwing bottles. What the hell are you doing? But to be honest, my, my concern at that point was more that the bottles might hit somebody in the crowd. I thought somebody might get hurt from a flying bottle rather than thinking, well, the, you know, the windows will smash and a player might get hurt. That didn't occur to me. It doesn't happen. It, when, when was the last time that that happened, that a player got hurt on a bus? And I guess, in, and I only speak for myself, but you're kind of comparing watching the Bocker bus come in to your previous experiences. And you're thinking, well, it, this happened at Anfield and it didn't stop the game going ahead. So I presume they will play because they're going to have to play. And it was only after a few minutes that you realise, actually, do you know what, this is really serious, that not only are the players hurt, but they've been hit by t- the t- they've been hit by the tear gas that was used to disperse the crowd. So that's gone in through the open windows. Um, they don't look like they're in any fit state to play, in, in two or three cases physically, but I think in a lot of cases mentally, like this is not this is not right that they should make them play. And it sort of getting to about four o'clock, I think, about an hour before before the game, when you started to have this suggestion that they might not play the game. And at that point, the thought that kicks in is, you've got sixty thousand people in the stadium; you don't have to tell they're not getting a football match, and that's not going to be very easy. Yeah, I mean, and that that was sort of the. Um... You know, the logic at Heysel as to why the game went ahead that it was decided on the night it was safer to play it than not to play it which uh, you know whether that's correct or not and, and whatever you think of that I, I I can understand why if you've got 60,000 fans in the stadium you're sort of thinking we've got to be really careful how we break this to them. this isn't going ahead I mean the other thing with the bus which only we only found out I think later that evening is the bus driver had fainted and uh, the Bocca vice president, Horacio Paolini, had grabbed the wheel. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, if you'd had a bus out of control, kind of ploughing into a load of fans, it could have been a you know a real tragedy. Um, and you know, I think the, the the first moment I sort of thought, you know what, this is this is really, this, this is in danger of not happening, was when Carlos Tevez came on the telly. And uh, what he said was, they're obliging us to play but the truth is we're not in condition to play. There are many players who are coughing with a feeling of wanting to vomit. As for me, I have a lot of pain in my throat and just now it was giving me a headache. And you saw that and you you, know, you, you could tell that he was struggling. It wasn't, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's the greatest actor in the world, but it didn't look good. Carlos Tevez is think, not the greatest actor in the world. But you sort of think, even if he is acting, well, you know, you can't, Force players to play no. in this second. It's ridiculous. It's preposterous. No. And then the story broke about about Perez, the fact that he had to go to hospital to have shards of glass removed from his eye. You know, the Boca captain. And then there was a story came. I mean, they kept on pushing kickoff back. So first of all, they said, "Oh, it'll be played at six, and then seven fifteen, then seven thirty, then seven forty-five. Which is which is which is direct from the from the crowd control manual. You don't. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. don't tell people this is off. Mm-hmm. You basically try and bore them into submission. So that they can kind of come to the realization themselves, and it was—I didn't know that at the time. But as it, I think it was after the second pushback, the second delay. You thought, "Hang on, they're, they're doing this. This is this game is not happening." Well, except um, when they said seven forty-five, I think it was around about twenty past twenty-five past seven. The referees came out and started warming yeah. up, and I thought, "What is what?" And there's a story came out that the Commonwealth doctors had checked the Boca team and said, "Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you can play this," which I've no idea if that was true or not. I never got it confirmed. Um, but if it was true, it would be ludicrous. And the other story was that they were sending Pablo Perez to hospital so that he could come back. He was in the team sheet because they released the team sheets. Perez yeah. was there, even though he's on telly with a huge eye patch. <laughs> but you sort of think, I mean, and at the time as a journalist, you, I suppose you're having, there is that tension in you that, between the, the fan who desperately wants it to happen and the, I suppose the human who's a bit worried about what might happen if they, if they cancel this game with 60,000 quite angry people in the stadium. Um, and the journalist who's, who's kind of thinking, well, actually, there is no way this can happen. This would be ridiculous if this if this happened. But I remember, that, I remember that it was such a sort of. You're right, Jonathan. It was such a surreal afternoon. I remember when when they said Perez is going to hospital, but will come back. I was a bit like, all right, that's a good idea. And you're thinking, well, I'm not. No, it's not. That's a dreadful idea. He clearly can't play. Whether there are any chances of lasting his eye or not, if you're poking about in somebody's eye 45 minutes before kickoff, they probably shouldn't play football. And then the other thing that was the Wi-Fi in the stadium went down. So I was having to file stories to The Guardian and to Sports Illustrated, just typing it on my phone 
It's because yeah. you know, it was, I, I couldn't connect from my laptop to, to send it. So writing it on the laptop, then copying it out onto my phone. And um, then I, I think it was around about half seven, proper riots start outside. The yeah. police start fly, firing plastic bullets into... I don't even know who they were, but kind of River... River... Barras Bravas? And it was the River Barras, and I think there were, there were certainly suggestions that they were... That some of the Barras who'd been prevented from going to the game had arrived and were going to t- were, were, take, were ambushing fans who'd had tickets to the game. Well, I think that happened later, though. I don't think that was happening at half seven. I think that, yeah, that, that certainly was the story later it on. It happened as, as people left the ground. The initial, yeah, the initial violence, I, yeah, I don't know whether that was... Because just... one of the stories is, is the reason why this happened was that a leader of one of the, the River Barras had been arrested the previous week. And it, it was... what I mean, I, I, again, I have no idea whether this, this is why it happened, but one of the stories was that they decided they would stop the game happening um, by by attacking the Boca team just to sort of make their point that you can't touch touch us. But the thing is, these riots, you could just about, every now and again when it sort of fell quiet, you could just about hear stuff happening outside. This is yeah. like 200 yards away, mm-hmm. but it might as well have been in London for, for all we were kind of experiencing it. But when the game was put back for the following day at 5pm, were you in the stadium when that decision yeah. Was, yeah. was announced? So what was the reaction then? I mean, I, I suppose it, you're talking about rights and so on, but to the ordinary fan who, who's... Resignation, the, because I think yeah. They'd, yeah. they'd all worked out that, that they were being strung along on purpose and that the game wasn't right. happening. So there was um, booing and whistling, but it didn't It didn't feel like... It, no, it, it felt performative. It's it like, here's a ritual we're going to go through. It wasn't yeah. like yes. fury. Uh-huh. And it, yeah, there was no kind of, and also bear in mind that they'd have they'd have been on their phones, they'd have been watching the news, they'd have, sure, you know, sure. they'd, they would they would have been fully aware. It didn't come as a bolt from the blue. And I think, to be fair to the Argentinian authorities, whoever was 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 running that, the approach of drip feeding the bad news was very much the same. I think if you'd said at, at four o'clock this game's not happening, Boca can't play, the situation would have been much worse. As it was, it wasn't ideal because, as Jonathan said, that the violence started relatively early on, and then when the bulk of the fans left. The stories that we started hearing from, I think Andres Borgo, who's an Argentinian journalist, had a had he was robbed for his ticket, um, or a friend of his was robbed for his ticket, and there were there were there were barras basically lying in ambush waiting for people coming out of the stadium. They'd obviously been told that your ticket will be valid for, for tomorrow, so what better reason to go and get one of those tickets to people who didn't have one? Um, Although by the time we left, it was relatively quiet outside. But the, well, the what, scene what I the, remember is we because it was quite late by the time we left. I think it was. I mean, I say quite late, like nine o'clock, something like that, by the time we'd filed and everything. It was definitely dark by then. And I remember being very, very edgy. And we came out of the ground and looked up towards Libertador because we were thinking of walking up to, to Congreso de Tucumán, the, the substation. And you could see there was still a police line, there was still a bit of stuff going off. And we couldn't get an Uber. And there was one taxi. And we saw, I don't know if you remember this way, we saw a group of journalists walking away from this taxi. We went over to it and sort of, yeah, we were like, yeah, can we go to? And we there was a restaurant we were going to in Palermo, and and uh, yeah, we we give him the address, and he goes, yeah, it's a thousand pesos, and it, the, we we all we all knew the journey should have been two hundred pesos, yeah. and we we're all like, oh, fuck off, oh fucking oh, and then as we walk away, we're like, hang on, lads, that's that's twenty quid, that's yeah. just yeah, <laughs> five of each, we, we can afford this. It was yeah. it was one of those occasions where you, you were delighted to be ripped off. Yeah, that was it. Was it was fine? Like that guy needed that thousand pesos, but we needed to really not be at that stadium anymore. And mm. that was that was the that was it. Worked out for everybody. It was mm. fine. Yeah. Um, and then to be honest, I think well, the next few hours were basically rearranging flights and stuff and working out what to do. Because obviously, I, I think I, yeah, I was flying out the next day. I think Miguel might have been as well. I'm not sure. Um, but you and I, I, I felt intensely guilty for leaving. You know, having to call my wife and say, right, I'm actually staying out for another 48 hours. Sorry. But you kind of think, well, I've made it this far. Um, we've got to cover the story to, to the end. Um, but I, funny if I agreed with my boss, Andy, that, that if they tried to play it on the Sunday and then, and then tried to push it back again, we'd just have to leave because we on the on the basis that they were just never going to play it. Um, and sure enough, we pitch up. We don't basically have the same Sunday again. I think I might even have gone back back down to <laughs> Central Buenos Aires for some more presents. But. Well, the thing I really remember is is uh, we 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 get there. I think even early. I think it was like around about one o'clock when we got there, and we we bought we got into a coffee shop and bought some sandwiches and some biscuits and stuff. And there's a lot more police there and a lot more tooled up. But it's a lovely day, and there's nobody really about. So we we sat on the on this grassy bank under these trees outside the stadium. 
and the, you know these, these beautiful jacaranda trees eating this nice picnic having a lovely time and then you looked <laughs> 50 yards to your right and there's these riot police with guns and batons and shields and it's <laughs> the sort of a contrast between, and they're also standing under these trees with the blossom you have know, the, the just extraordinary kind of mixture of but I, I I don't think anybody really there that day. I, I'm from in my memory, the stadium never filled up properly. No, I mean we 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 stayed outside the stadium till they let the first fans in, which I think was one thirty. Mm. And I remember there was sort of a little bit, yeah, you know, people like running to get to the get to the gates as they got through the police lines. And then we went in, and uh, I think it was it was two o'clock. And the great thing was Miguel missed it because he was at the toilet, which was brilliant. But he <laughs> he does the toilet a lot. That boy. yeah, he does. Yeah, um, but just suddenly uh, on these TVs in the press box, uh, Alan Dominguez appears, be sitting behind a desk, and so we we ran into the office inside so we could hear the sound, and that was him saying, "Yeah, it's, we can't play the game. It's, no, it's off." Yeah, and at that point, everybody just went home, and it felt that one felt much more. There was a sort of annoyance that, not from our point of view, but from the fans' point of view, that that they kind of had the nerve to not do that in the morning, just say, you, you could have said before anyone went to the stadium, you could have said, we're not playing yeah. this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Conmebol had no idea what to do, or, or any idea at all how to handle the situation, really. And they were they were just trying to pick a way through it. Um, but I don't, I didn't, I never got the sense on the Sunday that anyone in Buenos Aires really thought that game was happening. Mm. Well, then, of course, the the, the appeals and the, the, the plans are drawn up and all this sort of stuff. Everybody's got their angle, everyone's got their opinion on what should and shouldn't happen. And, I mean, the, there's so many former players, pundits, journalists in Argentina expressing their anger, embarrassment and despair at the at the state of things, Jonathan. I mean, they, as, as Rory was saying, you know, people didn't want the game to happen. All their fears had, had sort of come to fruition there with, with those people. And there was deep, I suppose, embarrassment, really, that they... The spotlight, as I say, was on them. The eyes of the world were watching. And then this happens. And they... Yeah, the, the state of things in Argentina w- w- were bad. Everyone knew it locally, but suddenly it's in front of the world. Well, and especially because there was a, a big international summit coming up the following week. Was it was it a G seven summit or a G twenty? G twenty must have been. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, G yeah, twenty summit. So, so the thing is, we knew that if it didn't happen on the Sunday, it couldn't happen because they're going to run into policing for the G twenty. Uh, so, so that was when it became apparent there's going to have to be. Well, if it was going to be played at all, which was a doubt, it was going to have to be played somewhere that wasn't Buenos Aires. And there was a suggestion of taking it to Asuncion, which is where Comabol are based, or taking it to, to the US, or taking it to the Middle East. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think one of the ideas was, because they need to get it played before the Club World Championship, to take it to the UAE. To Abu Dhabi. Yeah, to Abu Dhabi, because that was where the Club World Championship had been played. So essentially, it's a playoff, and whoever wins can, can go into the Club World Cup. Uh, so there's was, was all that that narrative, but uh, Bocca's argument was in 2015, in when they'd met in the last 16, there'd been pepper spray fired into the tunnel at half time at River players, and the game had been abandoned and had been awarded to to River. So Bocca's argument was, how is this different? To which the only answer is, and I'm, I'm not entirely convinced it's a satisfactory answer, was this happened outside the ground, and I think there is a subtle difference that mm. inside the ground it is the home team's responsibility to make sure that the environment is safe outside the ground that's not quite as clear and there is some there is some line at which it does become the home team's responsibility but where that is is, is a much grayer area and so yeah the, the the decision was to 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 play it in madrid um but which led to this remarkable situation where you had a tournament whose full name is the Copa libertadores de, de america the, the the liberators of america being played in the old imperial capital yes yeah, which right. i think for quite a lot of South Americans was was really hard to swallow. Um, but equally, there was then this cynical side of it, and I suspect Alejandro Dominguez was part of it, who who viewed being able to stage the Libertadores final in the Bernabeu, this Champions League ground, at a time that suited a European audience, after all of this kind of international kerfuffle. And, I mean, I remember wasting a huge amount of time on Twitter, on both the Saturday and the Sunday in Buenos Aires, dealing with kind of, amazingly, other journalists kind of criticising the fact that we'd gone to this game as though it was some sort of hipster indulgence, as this enormous global story unfolded around them, saying, oh, why have you gone? It's not even a story. But like, well, just, 
Just literally look up like all of the newspapers and your social media feed. This is what people are talking yeah. about. Like four, this is... four of the top ten things on Twitter on that Saturday evening were were, were superclaster related. Yeah, and you think if you can't see that this is a, st- it's not even worth arguing with really because it's so kind of imbecilic. But if you can't see that this is a story, then then you're being ridiculous. But I think to con the ball. All of that was like, right, well, there's a real audience for this game. People are desperate to see it now. And if we can play it in Madrid at the Bernabeu at the right time, that they one of the things that they said about Madrid that made it more palatable was that it had a direct had it has the most direct flights to Argentina of any European city. And it also Spain has quite a large Argentinian expat community. I don't think any of that was was anywhere near as relevant as the fact that the Bernabeu is a ground that is indelibly associated with the Champions League. To an extent, it is the ultimate Champions League ground, the Bernabeu. And I think for, for Commebol, that was too good an opportunity to turn down. For Madrid as well, there was an element of they, they were thinking about bidding for, for some sort of Olympics or something, and it was a chance for them to show that they could, they could host major events as well as anybody else. And to be fair to Madrid, it went off really peacefully, although I would say that the, the, the way the game was actually policed was probably better in Argentina. But <laughs> the... Um, because I I couldn't go to the I mean I was just really annoyed by the dates of it I couldn't go to the arranged game because I was booked to do a, a live gig in Dublin so I ended up watching that game uh, on a dodgy feed on my phone in a Japanese restaurant in Dublin. Well, so, see, I, I ended up watching it not to rub it in in the Bernabeu and the thing that struck me River eventually won three one and deservedly so and to be honest. Well, Boca would 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 suggest it wasn't the right result. Boca would suggest that they should have been handed the tie, but it was. It was set up for River to win it, I think, because they'd drawn 2-2 at the Bombonera. I think they'd broadly been the better team there. Um, they were deprived of their home leg. And obviously, if Boca had won, then River would have been able to say, well, we never had a home leg, so this is illegitimate. So in a way, it was really easier that River won it. Um, and there was this wonderful... Uh, the third goal... Um, the second goal was, Pint- uh, was Juan Quintero. It was a wonderful goal. But the third goal... Uh, and but the third goal was, was Pitti Martinez... Who, stro- who basically ran the length of the pitch effectively unchallenged as Boca were pushing for an equaliser. And to- it was towards the-, the end of the River fans and it just felt like this moment of, of like, he must have known. Imagine being a River-, a River Plate player on that run about to score that goal to win the Libertadores against Boca after all this stuff that's happened. And you just, it was, it seems to take an age. It seems to take like, it took him like five minutes to get the other end of the pitch. And I know that Argentinian football's, football's slower than European football, but it's not that much slower. And it was, it just felt like this kind of, right, this is what everything, this is, this is now this story over. But the main thing that I noticed that in that evening is that you, that if you transplant South American football from South America, it loses something because that was a, a slightly corporatized, much more kind of anemic, much more kind of, sanitised event compared to what would have happened at the Monumental and there were River and Boca fans in Madrid was, it was, was, it was that, a mixed crowd Was that really sort of personified with the half and half River and Boca scarves outside the stadium? Did, they, ha- did they really capture the South American Argentinian spirit with that? You will be unsurprised to learn Marcus, that the first thing I did upon arrival at the Bernabeu was uh-huh. buy a half and half scarf Yeah, yeah, yeah. because <laughs> You will never get. It's still one of my. It's probably my favourite football. Just to just to prove it was on sale at some yeah. point. I think in years to come, if you said, "No, they were selling," them, nah, nonsense. You'd have to. You'd have to. Produce there are not many River and Boca half and half scarves knocking about, and I I have got one in my office. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was it was a Disneyfied game. Basically, yeah. it was it was probably ironically what Conmebol want the Libertadores final to be in the sense that it, it kind of had a bit of the colour of South American football and it had all the all the myth and the lore and the mystique. But it didn't actually have any of the any of the edge. But in losing that edge, not that not to condone what happened or not to not to condone the problems that continue to kind of beset quite a lot of South American football. And I think the thing that I took away from Buenos Aires particularly was that and it was something that someone at um either San Lorenzo or Racing had said to me, the problem with Argentinian football is that winning means too much. That they care too much about winning. And he'd used it in the context of like youth development, that that like under thirteen teams will sack their manager if they don't you know, if they don't win for three games. But it means too much in 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 a, in a much broader sense that 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 game meant so, not losing that game meant so much that in the end it actually couldn't happen. And I think when you when when a football culture gets to that stage, you have to question whether something's gone gone slightly awry. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that uh, that when you talked about being a fan for this game and 
people misunderstanding it as some sort of hipster nonsense, which is such a, as you say, sort of a moronic opinion. In that game at the Bernabeu, in attendance, the likes of Lionel Messi, Antoine Griezmann, I think most of the Juventus side were there yeah. and so on, that that game captured the and captures the imagination of Europe's best players and some of Europe's best players. It shows you just what an extraordinary fixture that is. Well, and you can see the ongoing impact of that, that the Libertadores final last season was, mm-hmm. was on BBC, shown live at 8 well, o'clock on BBC Two. As is this yeah. year's. It's on, yeah. it's, on, it's on the iPlayer this year. Yeah, they, 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 they've, about, uh, they've shown the last two quarterfinals and, and all four yeah. legs of the semis, and the final's going to be on the iPlayer. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know about you, Rory, but I do hope that they ask back um, Gilberto Silva. I thought he was excellent <laughs> in 2019, alongside our, our very own Jonathan Wilson, of course. Yeah, but Rory was asked first. We should be clear about that. He turned it down. <laughs> I got it. That is true. That's actually yeah, true. I, I <laughs> couldn't do it, unfortunately. Ah. And that is it's actually, I've heard that it's Jonathan's performance as a pundit that means that they're not putting on BBC Two this year. It's just <laughs> yeah, incredible. What, two very highly decorated men, Rory, we could certainly yeah, agree on. That's true. Um, but there we are. Rory, it's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you. About I've really enjoyed one. it. Uh, just... Uh, what a spectacle, as I say, uh, it, it, it turned out to be, as it always promised it would be. But uh, Yeah, maybe not, not in the way uh, they expected, but it, <laughs> it, it remains, I think, it's definitely like the best, to, and it's, it's a really horribly kind of privileged thing to say, but like World Cup final, I've done two World Cup finals, I think, and, and Champions League finals, what have you, but that, and I've reported much more important stories and, you know, things that, that touch issues that like really deeply matter. But as a single one-off event, just for kind of an unbelievable that sense of like, like global that sense of like the like a hurricane just bearing down on you, as, and that sense of being in the midst of things, and as a sheer kind of reporting adrenaline rush, that was yeah hard to beat. Uh, and the beautiful thing both days was we were finished by nine o'clock because so we'd go and have a nice meal. Go to and a lovely ra- ice cream shop. Go to Rapa Nui for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Steak, red wine and gelato all around, gentlemen. What a, what a super day. Uh, for more stories like that about the football, not the, the steak and gelato, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, Rory, an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the pod. We'll, we'll be back next week, of course, with another great game from football. See you then. <laughs>